Well, last week we had a wonderful Wednesday night service. It was the night before Thanksgiving, and I appreciated so many different people coming up and testifying uh, just of the goodness of God, something that the Lord had, had done, something that you were thankful for. And I promise you, every one of the things, even if you thought it was little, every one of those things ministers to our hearts and, and to the body. And uh, I thank the Lord for it. But I want us to, uh, to turn in our Bibles to 2 Corinthians. Now we're doing our study on Moses. We're going to start in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And then we're going to turn to Exodus chapter 34. 2 Corinthians 3. Let's read 13 through 18. And not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished, but their minds were blinded, for until this day the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. But even unto this day when Moses is read, or the law is, Old Testament law is read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, and this is our key verse for tonight, verse 18, but we all with open face, beholding as in a glass, or that would be a mirror, the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. This is a powerful Scripture. This is a wonderful Scripture. And it's kind of relating it to Moses on the mountain, which we're going to read about tonight. When he came down, you know, he had to wear, wear the veil over his face because he had been in the presence of the Lord. But it says that in Christ, that veil's taken away. In other words, it, there's, it's like there's an, a veil taken from our... A veil kind of covers things and makes things not perfectly clear. And in Christ, that's taken away. And it says, but we all with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into that same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Of course, he's writing to believers. He's writing to those that are born again. And he's saying that as we behold the Lord, now how do we behold the Lord? We can look around this room, we don't see Him. We behold Him by faith, right? By faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And so we can behold the Lord by faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. We can absolutely steadfastly set those other things aside and fix our hearts and minds upon the Lord and see the Lord in that sense by faith. Okay? Spiritually see Him. And as we behold the Lord and as we linger in His presence and as we tarry in His presence, the Bible says there's a work going on that's really nothing that we're doing. We're beholding the Lord by faith and He, by the Spirit of God, is changing us into that same image that we behold. Isn't that a wonderful thing? That we're being conformed to the one that we worship, the one we adore, the one we pray to, the one we hear, the one we read, we read His Word, uh, we sing to as we're worshiping, honoring the Lord, and seeing Him really by faith. Not just going through the motions, but laying hold on the Lord by faith. We're being conformed to that beautiful, glorious, holy God that we're beholding. It's a work of God. Now I want you to turn back to Exodus and we'll pick up with, with Moses' life in chapter 34, verse 29. This is the eighth, I guess, ascent and descent 
of Moses on the mountain that's recorded in scriptures. Okay, the mountain of the Lord specifically. So let's look at uh, Exodus 34, 29. It came to pass when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tables of testimony in Moses' hand, when he came down from the mount, that Moses wist not or he did not know that his skin, the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. So he was unaware of this that had taken place by being in the presence of God. But what's so wonderful is that the whole congregation of Israel did not have glowing faces, right? It came to Moses as he was alone with the Lord in the presence of God up on the mount at God's invitation. But one of the things, and I'm kind of skipping all the way to the end of the sermon, but one of the wonderful things, when we read that scripture from 2 Corinthians, that that is an open invitation for everyone in the Lord. That is an open invitation for all that come to Christ, but all those that are in Christ, it is an open invitation for us to come into the most holy place of all, right? That we can come into the Holy of Holies by the new and living way. We read all this in Hebrews and come into His presence and, and sit before the Lord. And people are searching, like we, we sang, I could search for all eternity long. There are people that are searching. They're searching for peace and contentment and God and they're searching for meaning to life and for love and they're searching for all these different things. And we know the Lord and we can come before the Lord and be without, without a priest, sort of an earthly priest between us and the Lord. We have a great high priest, the Lord, but we don't have to come through a mediator on this earth. We can come into God's presence and be with Him. And how infrequently we might do that when we could do it. Uh, it's an open invitation. So I'm going to talk about this tonight. Um, do you and do I have, have in our hearts a desire to see God? A desire to really... I'm talking about born-again people, okay? A desire to see the Lord. Do we have a desire to see Him in His glory? To be with Him, to commune with Him, to fellowship with Him. For Him to take the veil away, so to speak, and reveal Himself to us in a deeper revelation that we've known heretofore. You know what I mean? A deeper uh, revelation. That ought to be in, in our hearts, the heart of every believer. If you got saved yesterday, or if you got saved 55 years ago, that ought to be in our hearts, a heart's desire to, to have a deeper communion with God, a deeper revelation with God. And there is also... That not only the invitation of God to do that, but there is the promise of God to fulfill that. In other words, if you and I have that desire, the desire came from the Lord in the first place, and then there's also with it a promise to satisfy that or gratify that desire. So that's good. We're not begging God to do something He may or may not do. We're not desperate for God to have a deeper revelation of the Lord and then we have to twist His arm to maybe do that for us. You understand what I'm saying? With the promise, with the prompting, I would call it, there is also the, the promise of the fulfillment of that. Nobody's going to go away dissatisfied. But we see this in Moses' life. And I'm just going to read little bits of Scriptures about Moses' life. Okay? 
uh, over his long years of serving God, when, he, when the Lord first called him at the burning bush, till through his life of service to the Lord, there was a desire in God, in Moses, to see God face to face. And we know that. The, the Bible says, he said, uh, show me now thy way that I may know thee. Well, this is after he had walked with the Lord many years and served God at part of the Red Sea and saw manna come down and, and water out of the rock and, and everything. He's still saying, show me now thy way that I may know thee. Who does that sound like? It sounds a lot like Paul. After walking with the Lord for years and years and, and saying that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, right? The fellowship of his suffering. This is an absolutely wonderful, godly trait. It ought to be in every child of God. The newest believer, as I said, or the oldest saint. It ought to be in our hearts. Another scripture where, the, where Moses says, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. There, these type of prayers were continually on the man's lips because it was in his heart. This was not the desire of all the people. I'm talking about all the people in Moses' day that he was leading they got to see his miracles and so forth. They said, you go talk to God. We'll stand back here. We're afraid. Well, there was a fear of God in Moses, but it wasn't afraid like we think of afraid. There was a fear of God, but it's still a longing to be with him. That ought to be consistent in our lives as well. A good, holy, reverent fear of God. And at the same time, a desire to be with him. Above all, above anyone else or anything else. But the people as a whole, this is not said of Joshua, but you know, Joshua and Caleb and Moses were kind of exceptions to the, the nation of Israel. They just said, you go talk to him. And Moses wanted to. Okay? Who does this sound like as well? This, this is common in other saints. We mentioned Paul. Oh, that I knew where I might find him. My soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out, for the living God, my soul thirsteth for thee. This is David in the Psalms, a man after God's heart. Again, we're not going to be dissatisfied. God's not going to prompt us with that longing and, and then disappoint us. You know, like, like dangling a carrot before a, a donkey or a horse, you know. It, it, they're walking, it's tied to them, and they can never get to it. And it keeps them moving forward, but they never get to it. Uh, God doesn't do that with his people. He says, you'll, you'll seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. That is a promise from the Word of God. And so, these longings are certain to be fulfilled because God is faithful. Not because you and I are faithful, but because God is faithful. And if I have that longing in my heart, and I'll ask, I'll ask this as well, or, or talk about this, do you think that even with Paul or David or Moses or you or me or people we read about in Christian books that were so close to the Lord, do you think that that desire can be cultivated in us? Do you think it can be uh, fueled, so to speak, to where we, to we ourselves are, are desiring it more? Absolutely. The more we know God, the more we want to know Him. And the more we want to know Him, the more He allows us to know Him. And then the more we know Him, the more we want to know Him. This doesn't, this doesn't stop. It's an ongoing thing. But part of that is, is upon us as far as cultivating that desire. I mentioned the Scripture we all know from Romans. Faith comes by hearing 
hearing by the word of God. And so as I spend time with the Lord and spend time meditating on his word and in his word and singing his praises and praying in my prayer language and talking to the Lord, God will, he's doing a work in my life. And part of that work is to give me a greater, I would say, unparalleled desire for the Lord, unequal to where I desire him more and other things less. I desire Him more and other things less. Ongoing. I desire the Lord more. I just want to be with the Lord. You know what I mean? Where, um, like, Mo, like, like David says, when shall I come and appear before the Lord? My flesh even longs for Him. My soul thirsts for Him. You know, and so that's a longing. And so we, we desire the Lord and it's because He put the desire there, but we can cultivate the desire by the time we spend with the Lord. A lot of people have this attitude that as Christians, if God wants to do something special with me like, like He did in David or Moses, He'll just zap me. Until then, click, I'm going to watch a football game. But that's not the way that that works. I like to watch football too. But I want to want the Lord more than, than that. Not that it's evil or anything the football. I'm saying if we want that, then we come to these altars and we make an off prayer closet in our home and we meet with the Lord and He He speaks to us and He says, this, this is what you want. This is how it's going to happen. This is how I'm going to fulfill this in your life. I'll absolutely fulfill it, but it's not going to be while you're watching football. It's not going to be while you're doing other things like that. You want me, then come and find me. Here's where you'll find me. And but he's absolutely going to fulfill it. And so um, we have to cultivate that in a sense. There's really, when you think about it, I'm not saying that I'm here, that I've arrived at any certain place, okay? But when you think about it, there's really not a higher privilege for mankind. You know, going to meet the president or meeting the king of a country or being elected president or appointed king, whatever, there's not a higher privilege for a man than to for God to say, come up on the mountain and meet with me. Just you and me. What could be greater than that? What could, you know, not, oh, I've never seen Europe, you know, well, you know, what, what's greater than meeting with God? What, what higher privilege could we have? The Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken. So Moses spoke it to the Lord, right? Show me now your glory. Show me your way. And the Lord says to Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken. For thou hast found grace in my sight. Be ready in the morning and come up in the morning unto Mount Sinai. So he's got this longing. Maybe it wasn't the very instant he prayed it. But he's got this longing. It's like a continual longing in Moses' heart. And maybe he had to get boldness to finally ask the Lord. You know, God, he's, what's happening is he's coming to know him more and more. Yeah, God reveals himself through the Bible. If you start in Genesis 1-1, he reveals himself by different names that he didn't reveal before. Then he reveals himself, I am Jehovah Jireh, Abraham, your provider. Uh, that's what he said when he was going to offer up Isaac, right? To be a sacrifice and God spared him and offered a ram instead. He reveals himself. And so Moses is calling out and the Lord says, 
I'm going to do this thing that you've said. Here's the invitation. Tomorrow morning, you be ready. You come up into the mountain to Mount Sinai and meet with me. And so here, and this is all we're really talking about tonight. However long it takes us to get to get through it, there's pretty much just one thought. That the gratification of that or the fulfillment of that desire, we're going to see it in Moses' life, but the same in our lives. The fulfillment of that desire, first of all, it's a holy desire. It's good. And to say we're asking, we're cultivating it. I want it, Lord, but help me to want it more. I want you, Lord. Help me to want you more. Help me to want you more than these other things and these other people and this other financial blessing or whatever it may be. Help me to want you more than all. And He's working on us and in us to do that. And then we call out to Him, God, show me Your glory. Bring me to a new place in my prayer life. I've heard about it. I've read about it with other people. Bring me to a new place in my communion with, with You. I've heard about people sitting before the Lord, human beings like you and me, okay? Where time kind of vanishes. And I heard about people that prayed with praying high. Now this man would pray four and five hours a day or four and five hours at a time and things like that. That people, other pastors that would go pray with him, that, that while they were in there praying with this man, they knew they were in the presence of God. They just could almost taste Him and smell Him and feel Him. And it was a very tangible presence of God in the room or the prayer closet, wherever they were. And they, they would testify later that the time just kind of passed away. They didn't, they were unaware of it. That three hours passed, four hours. Think about the disciples in the garden, right? Couldn't you pray with me one hour? I've thought about praying an hour before. I've test, and I've shared some of my testimony, but... God can bring us to a place where the hour is not the thing anymore. We're lost in His presence. And hours pass, two hours, three hours. And it's, it is possible, is what I'm saying. And I think it's something we would all long for rather than saying, oh, I've got ten more minutes to make an hour. Alright, give me something else. Let me think of something else to pray about. I've been there and done that too. Alright? But God, for God to bring us to a place where that's not a problem, so to speak. And so it depends, though, upon us. God's going to do His part. Whether it's salvation or whatever you want to ask, God will always do what He promises to do. He does the hard part. He does the miraculous part. But there are things He asks us to do. He said to Moses, be ready in the morning to come up into the mountain. What if Moses said, I don't feel like climbing a mountain today. I'm 80 years old. I'm old. I don't feel like climbing. I'm 95, whatever. He lived to be 120, right? So I don't know how old he was at this time. What if he said, I'm going to go the day after tomorrow? You understand my point? He, he's, God says, be ready tomorrow and come up to the mountain. I'm going to do this thing that you told me. So the promise is already there from God. I'm going to do exactly what you've asked me to do, Moses. I'm going to show you my glory. You be ready and tomorrow I want you to come up in the mountain. There are things that God calls us to do. They're not too hard for us to do. They're not beyond us. As believers, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so we have to learn to obey the fulfillment of that promise of seeing God's glory, coming into a deeper communion with the Lord, being empowered maybe in our lives in a different way, to be used by God to preach or do miracles, 
whatever it may be that we're longing for, we, there are certain things that we have to do. And we saw this characteristic with Moses, even from the burning bush. Obedience. Okay? He said, send, send somebody else besides me, Lord, to deliver your people at first. Then send, send uh, my, Aaron, brother, my brother Aaron. He speaks really well. Send him. But when all this dust settled, still at that same meeting at the burning bush, Moses said, I'm going to go. What is that? That's obedience. He had to come, overcome some obstacles, some complaints, some fears. But when it was all the dust settled and the little fire, the fire in the burning bush went out, Moses went, didn't he? Obedience is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. There's a reward that comes with that. And same for our knowing God more. All right? In a deeper way. And we saw this in Moses' life that he. He was a servant of God. That means he didn't serve himself. He served the Lord. He's called that. The Bible calls him meek. The Bible calls him different things. But the most common phrase when used in the Bible of Moses is the servant of God. I'm going to just give a scripture here from Revelation 15.3. We did our study on Revelation. We talked about this. They sing the song of Moses, the servant of God. The servant of God. Okay, so that's what he's known as. And a servant is going to be obedient. A servant's going to obey what the master calls them to. His will, his desire, his word spoken to them. A servant's not going to do what he wants to do. He's going to do what his Lord or master calls him to do or bids him to do. And this scripture is in the Bible. As the Lord commanded Moses, so did he. That was all through the Bible. From the tabernacle, whatever it was, as the Lord commanded him, so did he. God could always depend on him in a sense to do what he called him to do. The Bible tells us in Hebrews that Moses was faithful in all his house. Really what that means is he was a faithful servant over everything God made him steward of. Whatever God appointed him to in his house. This is what I got for you, Moses. Moses was faithful over all of it. The Bible says he didn't say that of himself. Heaven records that about the man. And so it was to the Lord, I mean, it was to Moses' heart that into his life that he revealed his glory. God revealed his glory, not to the disobedient children of Israel at the bottom of the hill, building golden calves, right? Saying, let's go back to Egypt. They didn't see what Moses saw. And the same for you and I. And this is consistent that with the New Testament, the same thing right through that Jesus says, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loves me, and I will manifest myself to him. This is perfectly consistent through the Bible. Don't say, well, that's the Old Testament. It has to be, have to obey in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, it's all grace. Well, you have to obey what God tells you to obey. This is for believers. He that hath my commandments and keeps them, he it is that loveth me, and I will manifest myself unto him. John 14, 21. Obedience is a stepping stone to the vision. Obedience is, obedience is stepping, a stepping stone to having that next revelation of the Lord. Okay, like we desire. And we have to do that. We have to walk. Uh, it can be rough and steep. All right, obeying the Lord can be hard. You know it from your own lives. And we know it from the Bible. It can be a steep and rough 
climb through life. But He's always with us. He's always encouraging us. He's always helping us. Other saints of God are speaking to our lives and praying for us. I'm praying for you today, brother. He was talking about a, a friend of ours uh, across the world, another part of the world. And the Lord just had put this couple on Dee's heart. And she reached out to him and said, I've been, you've really been on my heart. I've been praying for you. And they contacted back immediately how much that meant and spilled their guts about a lot of stuff that they were going through, going through as believers. And they were able to pray for each other through the, the text and so forth. God helps us. The, the road can be steep, but it's the only way that leads up the mountain to receive the revelation. If God calls you to do something, and say, it's going to require me getting up earlier in the morning. It's going to require me, uh, it's going to demand something of my life. That was what I would talk about, where we have to obey. It can be rough. It can be steep. But that is the only way. There's not, Lord, can you give me a plan B? Can you give, give me another way to this nearness to you, this power, this new prayer life, this blessedness that I read about in others' lives. Can there be some other way? And he says, no, this, this is the way. Moses, you got to come up the mountain in the morning. you got to come up here and I'll meet with you. I want you to, uh, to turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 26, verse 29. Part of Paul's testimony later in his life 2619, I'm sorry, 2619. So he's before King Agrippa and he's testifying. Wherefore, wherefore, O King Agrippa, and he's talking about this on the road to Damascus where the Lord met him and called him Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision. So if there was going to be more in Paul's life, in Saul's life, and his walk with God and all that the Lord wanted to do and eventually did do through Paul's life, he's saying, I was not disobedient. Doesn't mean he was perfect and never sinned after he got saved. He's saying what God called him to do, he did it. You arise and you go, he told Saul of Tarsus, what do you, he said, Saul said, Lord, what do we have me to do? He's blind, he's laying in the dust on the ground, he's been knocked off his horse, he's got soldiers around him, they don't know what's going on, they don't hear the audible voice like he hears. They hear a sound, but they don't hear words like Saul did. And he says, what will you have me to do? To me, that kind of marks the man's life from that point on. And he says, you get up and go on into Damascus and it will be told you what you should do. Then he sends a man uh, to come, Ananias, to pray over him that he would receive his sight and the Holy Ghost and to give him... Tell him the calling of God that God had upon his life. Then the Holy Spirit leads him out in the desert of Arabia for three and a half years where it's just him and God. But every time, doesn't mean, like I said, he never ever sinned at any point in his life. But what God called him to do, he did it. And because he did it, God met him there and revealed himself there, fulfilled what he wanted to do in his life or impart to him there. And then he says, here, I want you to do this. And, and then he would meet him there. He never left him. When I say met him, he was with him all along. But it, he called him to something new, and it may have been hard, and then he met him right there. He's calling Moses up to the mountain, and if he was going to see God's glory, he had to go there. 
Okay, same for us. And so um, we have to obey what God's calling us to do. I can't speak to your life other than what the Word of God says, or if God gave me a word of wisdom or knowledge or something like this, I can't speak to what God's calling you to do today or tomorrow. Or what's the next thing He wants to do in your life? He's wanting to do something in my life. Always. I want Him to do it. And I want to want Him to do it, if that makes sense. I want my want to to be stronger and to be fixed and to be lined up with His will. And then I want to obey Him. And then I'll say, God, help me to obey You. I know it's the right thing to do. I know I'm lazy. I know I need to do this. Help me to do it. And then we step out and we do it. And He's always faithful to meet us. And one of the things we have to do, uh, we're going to move on just a little bit. We have to be willing to pass through the dark cloud. The dark cloud to me, because it says that the Lord met him in this thick cloud. It says, God called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud, and Moses went into the midst of the cloud. That's from Exodus 24. And so, when you're looking at that cloud, the way it was described in the Bible, we looked at it a few weeks back, it was, remember there was thunderings and lightnings, and it was a thick black cloud that was engulfing the mountain. Out in the middle of a flat plain of desert, there's this rock rocky outcrop there, this mountain, and this thick... It looked scary. It looked ominous. But God says, I'm going to meet you there. We have to be willing to pass through that. On the outside, it's dark and ominous and scary. That's all the children of Israel saw at the bottom of the hill. But when Moses got inside there and passed through the cloud, he got to see the glory of God. At least as much as the Lord thought He could stand. You know? and revealed to him. And so that when you got in there, so to speak, it wasn't like you might have thought it was on the outside. It looked scary, but when he got up there, it was glorious. It was wonderful. He didn't want to come down. His face is shining. He's in the presence of God. Down here looking up, really, is this, is this what God's calling me to do? Same thing for our lives. He calls us to things that we've never done before. They're totally foreign to us. We don't have, we can't rely just on someone else's testimony. There are certain times we have to know from the Word of God, we have to know from the inward witness of the Holy Ghost that I know that I know, and we press on through the dark cloud. If it's scary, and it looks scary, but He's promised me, we need to pass through it. Amen? We have to go through it. Moses had to climb the mountain. He had to pass through a dark cloud to get to see what was on the other side, to get to see what the Lord revealed to him. He had not seen that vision if he hadn't passed through the thick cloud. He could have thought about it, wondered about it, dreamed about it, everything else, but he wouldn't have seen it if he had not passed through that cloud. And so that's, that's the way God is. The revelations of the Lord, it's not like we would just desire it to be because we're lazy and we're, we're shallow a lot of times, even as Christians. But think about this. What, what about with the Lord Himself, Jesus Christ on the earth? He had to go to the garden. What happened in the garden, y'all? He was striving in prayer. He, sweat, he sweated drops of blood. 
so his garments were stained even from blood, sweating drops of blood. He's agonizing in prayer in the garden. It is at night. And then he's arrested and he goes to a cross. A cross where the Father places the sins of the world upon him. And he who knew no sin became sin for us that we may be made the righteousness of God in him. Then from the cross to a dark tomb and a grave. But he had to go from the garden to the cross to the grave to reach Easter morning. To reach the resurrection morning. That's a sermon in itself. But that is the truth of passing through the dark cloud. Whatever that next thing is that God has for us, we have to pass through. It may be crucifying our flesh. Like I said, our flesh is lazy and weak and we daydream. And I've, I've said it before, there, there's times in life, at least for myself, where we'd almost rather do anything than sit quiet before the Lord. We all, all of a sudden remember that our lawnmower needs the oil changing. You know, we'd rather do anything than, than sit quietly before the Lord because there's no, for our flesh, there's not a real gratification. For the spirit man, we're being moved from glory to glory and changed from glory to glory. That's why God has to bring us through some things. He has to bring us through some trials. We can think about it all of our lives or we can move on and pass through it. And I don't want us to just think about it all of our lives. Read about Moses and David and, and Paul and they're Paul got, getting caught up to the third heaven and seeing things that were unlawful to utter. I don't want you to just read about that. If he has something special for me, and he does, he has something in an in intimacy, just you and God, not you and somebody else in God. We have corporate worship that's wonderful, but he has something for you and the Lord. And we have to pass through those dark clouds to get there. Read a little part of a poem. It says, first the dark and after the light. First the thick cloud and then the rainbow. First the dark grave and then the resurrection light. And the last, last, one of the last things we're talking about is we have to dare to be alone with the Lord. We have to have it where it's, we're okay with, with it's just me and the Lord. For times like this, again, we, we have a Christian body and a church body that's wonderful. But there are times nobody else went up on, on the mountain. Be ready in the morning and come up in the morning and present thyself there to me in the top of the mount. And no man shall come up with thee. Neither let any beast be seen throughout the mount. Neither let the flocks nor the, the herds feed before the mount. So what is he saying? At this time, this calling was Moses, you come by yourself. Joshua's not coming. Joshua will have his time, okay? You come and you present yourself before me up on the mount. Make sure that nobody else comes with you. There are things in life where God calls us. There are deeper walks that He calls us to. There are things where we go alone and it can be, quote, lonely, but it's not lonely. It can seem a little lonely. You might have a call in your life of holiness that people sitting next to you right now don't have. We're all called to be holy. But I, but I mean a, a call of separation to where I'm okay watching Andy Griffith and I'm okay watching the football games and the baseball games and the World Series. But God may call someone right next to me. I want you to leave all that behind. 
Well, that can be a little lonely in that sense, but there will be a reward that comes for that. And maybe tomorrow He'll call me to a similar thing. You understand my point? There are calls even in life, even when we all walk in the same path with Jesus. We all got the same Scriptures and there's not different interpretations for different people. That's not what I'm saying. There's a call for Hudson Taylor to leave his mother and to go to, to inland China for the rest of his life. There was a call for the two Moravians that sold themselves into slavery that the other Moravians that were praying for him and waving goodbye didn't have upon their lives. Both loved the Lord and both had their own walks with God. You all understand that it can be lonely. Moses had to go by himself up that mountain if he was going to see the vision, if he was going to see the glory of God. And again, the New Testament says pretty much the same thing. When thou prayest, enter into thy closet. And when thou hast shut the door, thy father which is in secret. Right? There's, there is something there. Yes, there's a time of corporate worship. There's a time of public preaching and testifying and, and a lot of that. But there's also the time where we're shut up with the Lord. And there has to be. If those other things are going to have any kind of value, then I have to have my time shut up with God. Where it's just me and God. I have a family prayer time. Praise God. We're able to pray together as a family. I'm able to pray together with my wife. We're able to pray together as a church often. We can call up each other and pray on the phone together. And go visit someone in the hospital and pray with them. But there has to be that time with you and the Lord. And there's not a substitute for it. Church is not a substitute for your private prayer time. The church prayer meeting on Sunday night is important. We're called to do that. We're called to come together as a body. It's biblical. We have to do it. This church is going to survive. But you're also called, and so am I, to have my time alone with the Lord. And any type of Christian service, and I'm about to bring this to the close, but any Christian service that we do, if it takes away, or anything at all, if it takes away from that one-on-one -on -one time with me and the Lord in my prayer closet, then it's a tragedy. It, it's, gonna, it's not what it's supposed to be. It's going to, you, know, you can serve God day and night. But if you're not spending time with the Lord, to, to meet with Him, to commune with Him, to hear from Him, to see His glory, to be refreshed, to be revived, to have your face glowing and your heart glowing, then it's no good if you spend your whole life out there handing out tracts and witnessing to people or go down a mission field somewhere for the Lord. There's not a substitute for this. Everything else comes out of that. I'm talking about the one-on-one -on -one with you and God. And He may show you things in that time when you're alone with Him. Like I said, that your neighbor or your spouse or your children or your church friends, they're not at this point called to that same thing. We're all called to be holy. We all have the same Bible, as, like I said. But the specific calling, uh, we have to go there and we have to go there alone that place Moses was there alone and when the conditions are fulfilled the obedience all right come up on the mountain come by yourself it's really the only thing, two things the Lord told him when the conditions are fulfilled then the fulfillment is sure 
God's going to do it. Okay? He's going to do it. And I just wanted, I thought this was interesting in the book that I've been reading to, to note the progress of, of Moses, like moving on in his walk with God. In Mount Horeb, uh, Moses stood at the outer court and he learned from God that God was changes, changeless. I am. I am, I am that I am. He learned that about the Lord. And then later, in the giving of the law, one of his first trips up the mountain, he stood in the, in, in the holy place and he learned that God was righteous and He's the lawgiver. And now, he's, he's been invited to this inner sanctuary of the Lord to really learn Him. To learn more of Him. His glory, His truth, He's righteous, He's holy, He's beautiful. Uh, the answers to prayer may not always be the way we expect, but he, he, the Bible says that none that wait for the Lord are going to be ashamed. It might not be exactly how you expected it. Maybe Moses didn't have a clue what to expect when he got out there. Maybe he thought he'd see him riding by on a chariot. But remember, the Lord hit him in a rock and passed by him. I'll, say, I'll let you see my back parts, he says. You're just not able to bear the full expression of my glory in that earthly state that you're in. But still, it was fulfilled. And there was a man named John Tennant who was a, a believer calling out to the Lord and had some amazing experience with the Lord. And he actually told the Lord, hold off, Lord. Hold, hold, Lord, it is enough. For the frail vessel will break beneath the weight of the glory. You've got you to gotta back off a little. I wanted to see in your glory and whatever God revealed to this man it was, he was like, okay, you got to let me rest a little bit. I can't handle anymore. This stuff is, is true. The Word of God is true. He is real. And I'll close with this thought that when we have these visions or these revelations or these encounters of God, we don't, we don't invent it and then say, God, do it. He prompts us in our heart. Like Moses said, show me your glory. Well, God put that in his heart. So we say, show me your glory as God's prompting us. And He is prompting us. And then He fulfills it. And it is going to leave an unmistakable impression upon our life. Moses was not the same after that revelation. And we're not the same. There are times in our lives that are landmark things. I think about salvation. I think about, personally, when I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, in different I can remember wrestling with God uh, over ministry and things like that. I can remember two or three or four. I can remember at LSU when I've been so carnal and compromising and walking the fence and then God dealt with me about surrendering all. Three or four things in your life that you're just not the same afterwards. Those are good things. Moses came down from the mountain and he didn't know that his face was shining. He was unaware of it. It wasn't self-generated. It came from being in the presence of God. But it had an effect on the people when He came down the mountain. They knew He'd been with God. There was no mistake of it. You couldn't do this to yourself. Okay? They knew for a fact whether they believed God or trusted God or loved God like Moses. They knew He had been with God. And they knew He was changed. They knew He was different than when He went up there. And there are things like that that happen in our lives. There's good things. 
we're forever changed. And I thank God for that. Because the change, we opened in 2 Corinthians 3, right? We're changed to that same image, His image, from glory to glory. Even as by the Spirit of the Lord. The change is not just weird. It's not bizarre just to, for the sake of being bizarre. It's Christ-like. It's godly. It's godlike. And so, think about it. It would be impossible to be in the presence of God and not to be changed. Just me and Him. No buffer between me and the Lord. It would be impossible. You take a piece of ordinary iron and you set it by a magnet and the iron becomes magnetized. And you take that piece of iron that was an ordinary piece of iron and it can be taken out and now it's a magnet. That, that really happens. And so, think about it with the Lord. We're, we're with the Lord and the divine nature of the Lord is even more imparted to us. But the last thought is that Moses didn't know this and it didn't, it didn't affect him with any kind of pride. It didn't affect him and say, look, my face is shining. I've been with God. Never did that come to his own mind or through his lips. He was the most meek man on the face of all the earth. Even at this time. The Bible says that of him. He was glorious. As the, as the author of this book says, he was glorious in everyone's eyes but his own. And that's a wonderful way to be, isn't it? It's a wonderful way to be. And just want to read a few comments from here. Beware of the man who talks about his own graces. There is such a thing as being proud of humility. There is such a thing as being proud of our nothingness. The man who boasts of a shining face is a counterfeit and a cheat. It's, it's true. If I'm always saying, I'm so humble. I'm, I'm just so nothing. If I'm always saying that about myself you can be pretty sure that I really have not received that revelation or impartation or gift or changing from the Lord. And my favorite definition, I'll close, D, you can come on, on up. The, my favorite definition of humility that I've ever heard, I've shared it more than once with you from Dwight D.L. Moody, was that being, being humble or meek in a godly sense, okay, like Moses was. His face is shining. If anybody could have boasted, it could have been him. I've been with God. I got to see His glory pass by. He spoke to me face to face as a man speaks to his friend. He could have said all these things and His face was shining and glowing. But He didn't do any of those things. The, the best definition I've heard or explanation of biblical meekness or humility, humility is not thinking meanly of yourself or like hating yourself kind of thing, but it's not thinking of yourself at all. That's hard to do, isn't it? Because even in our humility, we can be around people and act in a certain way that we want them to recognize how humble we are. Reynolds such a good golfer. I can never play golf. You know what I'm saying? And I really can't. <laughs> so, I'm, I'm fine with it. Uh, but you understand the point? We can... We're begging for people to think how, how humble we are, how nothing we are. But, but it's wonderful. He came down, his life was changed, and everybody was aware of it but him. And it was nothing that made him haughty. And if we're with God and changed by God, and I could say, well, I've, I've met with the Lord, there's nothing wrong with saying things like that. 
But let God promote you. Let God humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. And the Bible says He'll exalt you or lift you up in due time. The Bible says let another man praise you and not yourself. And we don't even want to surround ourselves with just people that praise us all the time either. I could set somebody up in this pulpit and say, hey, when you get up there, say a lot of good things about me to the people. Uh, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a real work of God in our lives. And it's awesome. And it's unmistakable. And we ought to recognize it in other people. And we ought to be thankful for it in other people. And we ought to be thankful for it in our own lives. And I, these, these altars are open that we would just come before the Lord. I know I talked about a lot, but I guess the, the main thing tonight, y'all, would be that we would cultivate that desire to be alone with God and to have that next growth step, that next revelation, that next... He, you know He's calling you to something. There's not a person in here that God's not calling you on beyond where you are. You know it. I don't have to tell you that. And then for us to be obedient. We do have to meet some conditions there. But God will even give us the strength to obey Him. Lord, I miss my sleep if I get up that early. Or this is going to... Just trust God with it all. And, and you're not going to see Him. He's not going to do that in your life until we obey Him in that thing. And He'll help us to obey Him. Amen? So Father, we come before You.